This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Jewish folklore. On the first, we'll see why courtships that include rabbit babysitting and way too much murder maybe aren't destined to be long-lasting. And on the second, it's the dance party that saved the city. The creature this time is Bob, a cat that just hates dogs and also sucks their blood because Bob is a vampire. This is Myths and Legends, episode 302, Losing Hairs. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are two stories from Jewish folklore of things not being quite what they seem. On the first, it's something of a fairy tale the king has a classic dilemma and an unconventional solution that definitely won't result in way too many murders. The king had a plan, and it certainly was a plan. You see, he had a daughter, and classic king dilemma who should he marry her off to? A person of her choosing? Hilarious. Another king's son? Mm, too much at risk sending his daughter off somewhere forever. Another king? Ooh, could be a bluebeard situation. One of his generals? Which one? Well, this king, this king was pretty clever. He had come up with an idea no one had ever thought of before. He was going to put this decision in the hands of fate by putting it on his daughter's finger. A ring, that is. The people, whoever wanted to marry her, had to get a ring off the young woman's finger. Whoever managed it would be his son-in-law and heir apparent. Anything goes, the king said with a smile. The men in attendance looked at each other and then made a mad dash for the tower, where the king was keeping the princess during the contest. Hoo-hoo, they were excited, all right. This was a great plan, the king giggled. What alliances would form and be broken? Who would win the prize? Oh, he could hardly wait to see how this ended. A rival general stepped up alongside the first who made it to the door and immediately took a gauntleted punch to the head. A tooth skittered to rest at the foot of the king. <laughs> okay, gents, let's, let's keep it civil. The general ignored the king. Pointing to his men, they started kicking his rival until the man crawled away, bloody and broken. The general pointed to the door after that. He needed a battering ram. One of his men spoke up. Yeah, that probably wasn't in the spirit of the contest. The king nodded. This guy got it. Yeah, not in the spirit. The guy who spoke up immediately received his response in the form of a crossbow bolt to his chest from the general at the door. The king shrieked and ran to his chambers. The rest of the men ran and grabbed the battering ram. When they finally broke through the iron-reinforced thick oak door, the men were climbing over each other up the steps. The general stood at the princess's door and ordered a man to kick it in. His second-in-command did, and the general strode in. He found the princess's quarters, ones that were meant to last weeks or even months for the contest, and the princess was still settling in. She rose in shock and backed up. The general rested one hand on his dagger heavy with implication. The other he held out in front of him. The ring, please. 
the princess began to slip the ring from her finger when she screamed. A sword tip exploded out of the chest of the general, who slid off of it as the general behind him, his former friend, relaxed his arm. He was sorry that his future wife had to see that. But sometimes extreme things had to be done for love. He didn't finish that sentence. A spear found him. His second-in-command walked forward. He had spent his entire career languishing under those fools. It was his time now. He would marry the princess, take control of the kingdom, and the world would see how powerful he truly was. He looked to the princess. The ring. Now. She fumbled a bit. Yeah, sure, just... What? Why are you waiting? Give me the ring. The lieutenant, or whatever, I don't know medieval army ranking, said. The princess said she was. It was just that... A knife found the gap in the lieutenant's armor. The princess breathed. There it is. The illusion of authority was the one thing keeping the room from complete chaos. And once the top three ranking leaders in the room were dead by the hands of the top four, things kind of fell apart after that. People were once again climbing over each other to get to the princess. But it was a massacre, and the princess fled to the balcony. Soon, those who didn't retreat were dead. And the king's champion, a man who towered over everyone at an early modern period hulking five foot ten inches tall, covered in the blood of his friends and fellow soldiers, held out his hand. The ring. The princess barely breathed as she pulled her hand away from the edge of the balcony and went to remove the ring. But it was already gone. Her finger was bare. She gasped and looked over the edge. Hi, the young man, a local shepherd who happened to be in the city selling some sheep, smiled. He was clinging to the stones on the outside of the wall. He slipped the ring on his pinky finger and moved as fast as he could down the wall. You there, dirty child, leave my presence or I shall have you removed, the king said to the shepherd boy. He looked around. Right. All of his guards were fighting it out for the princess's hand. That could have gone better. He looked back to the shepherd boy. Uh, Leave or you shall be slapped vigorously by the king and... What What was that? The shepherd boy knelt before him, holding out the ring. Wait, him? He's very shabbily dressed, the courtier said. He's a poor shepherd boy. He wants to marry the princess? Ludicrous. I I can hear them. They know I can hear them, right? The shepherd said. He was standing right there. The king didn't address it. He turned to the courtier. What could they do? He passed the test. Then the king's eyes grew wide. He passed the first test. The courtier said, what did the king mean, first test? That was the only... Nope, no, we talked about the second one. Remember? It was always part of the plan, right? The rabbits? You know, the rabbits, George? George, the courtier, said, yes, the rabbits. 
did the king want to tell the shepherd what the rabbit task was? The king said, yes. Shepherd, rabbits, got it. He raised a finger. To the rabbit hutches. Forty rabbits, the king said, holding the furry, terrified prey animal aloft. Managing a kingdom required attention, finesse. It was like herding rabbits. So the shepherd kid was going to herd rabbits. One week, he wanted the shepherd to drive 40 rabbits out into the forest so they could feed and do rabbit stuff and bring them all back to the hutches at night. But beware, the king said. If the shepherd lost one rabbit, he was a dead man. That was, that's impossible, right? The king whispered to his advisor when the pair was walking back to the palace. The courtier replied, absolutely, that kid was as good as dead. The shepherd kid tended to agree with the king, especially when, the following morning, he opened up the hutches in the shadow of the wall and the rabbits broke and ran in all directions. Welp, this had been fun. Living, that is. He figured his odds of survival were about as good on the road as they were admitting to the king that he lost the rabbits within 10 minutes of starting work. He gathered his things, but as he did so, he noticed something he hadn't before. A carved bit of wood next to his bag. It looked like a tree root, but it had a hole through it. It looked... The boy picked it up and blew through it. It was a whistle. Cool. He put it in his pocket, turned, and saw his legion of rabbits. They were standing in the clearing, looking at him. The shepherd did a quick count. Forty. They were all there. He paused. Wait. He blew the whistle he found on the forest floor. They inched closer to him. The young man had no idea why there was a whistle that controlled rabbits here in the forest, but as the guy who needed to control rabbits, he was very happy he found it. He started tooting along on the whistle, and the rabbits? The rabbits followed him. They followed him around in circles and then back to their hutches. A fool with a little luck is only half a fool, the shepherd said with a smile. I'm personally not sure about the meaning of that, but whatever. Anyway, as you do when you happen to find a magical whistle in the forest, the shepherd went to work militarizing the rabbits. You, you'll be the sergeant, the shepherd said to one of the rabbits standing in attention. You, you're the platoon leader and you're the squad leader. Let's go. And they did. The people who were gathered to watch the shepherd boy fail because they literally had nothing more interesting to watch than an adolescent be executed found something more interesting to watch an adolescent leading an army of rabbits. He blew the whistle. Fall out. The rabbits scurried to their hutches. The people lost it. Clapping and cheering. They saw people brutally executed all the time, but a trained rabbit platoon? That was quality content. Okay, 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 I know, the king said to his queen, who said that the plan was supposed to work. The kid was supposed to fail right away. Instead, he had the rabbits walking in formation. Their daughter couldn't marry this dirty little nobody. Four days had gone by, and the shepherd not only hadn't lost a rabbit, but he was earning the love of the city with his daily demonstrations of rabbit obedience. 
The king, however, was losing many hares. Okay, all they had to do was get this kid to lose one rabbit. Could they release the hawks? The royal hunter said no can do. The rabbits in formation were confusing and scary to the birds of prey. They wouldn't attack. Okay, so how about selling one? The kid grew up in poverty. Everyone likes money, right? I love money. The king said, okay, here's an idea. Bring in the royal acting troupe. Three hours later, the king buried his face in his hands. Okay, once again, the scene is that you're a traveling merchant and you want to buy a rabbit from this kid. So you buy a rabbit, it's mostly improv. The actor, the fourth one to try out for this part, said, but what was the motivation? Is the rabbit like a representation of his father's love that he never experienced as a child? I mean, if that helps, you're just buying a rabbit. The actor waved, no, never mind. Okay, he had it. Let's do it, let's go. Let's do the scene. The actor walked up. Hello, sir. I would like to buy a rabbit. The king groaned. Oh my gosh. They were all fired. He was just going to do it himself. We'll see the king's acting chops, but that will be right after this. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget just as soon as... Right. Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Hi, I'd like to buy a rabbit off of you, the king said to the shepherd boy. Was that really so difficult? He stepped down from his carriage and walked over to the shepherd. Yeah, those were the marching rabbits, right? The shepherd grinned, the very same, but ugh, they're not for sale. They're not even mine, they belong to the king. Oh, the king, I love him, the king said. He's just so wise and very attractive too. We the people are just like, yes, have all the power, money in that face. Wow, he and his family can oppress us anytime they want. Am I right? Wink. The shepherd said, sure. He studied the man. Yeah, but he didn't really have need of money. Well, you have to want something. I'm a merchant. I do imports and exports. What can I get you? The shepherd thought about it. All right. Here was the deal. He'd let the rabbit go for a kiss. The importer-exporter king cocked his head. Oh, this was getting a little weird. The kid furrowed his brow, kissing the rabbit. Just 
right underneath his tail. The king rocked back on his heels. Hmm, okay, less weird, but still super odd. But in order to not have a shepherd's son-in-law? Sure, yeah, he would kiss a rabbit. Underneath the tail. So I'm not sure if you've looked underneath an animal's tail. We have a Sheltie with bathroom issues, so I have. Uh, But it's not really the place you want to be kissing. The king steeled himself, breathed, and the shepherd gave the order. The sergeant rabbit turned and raised his tail. When the deed was done, the king scooped up the sergeant rabbit and jumped in his carriage. The shepherd waited a few minutes, long enough for the carriage to rumble safely out of view, but not long enough for it to make it to the city gates. Then he blew the whistle. The rabbit twisted and pushed from the king's grip and leapt out the window, running all the way back to the shepherd. The merchant king's carriage rolled back to the clearing, but the rabbits were gone, safely back in their hutches. The royal rabbit counters did their work and found, yes, 40 hares. Day five was complete. The king had been scrubbing his lips for 15 minutes. He spat the soap into the basin. He looked out of the bathroom. Hey, did they have any lye? The queen said that stuff that they use to make soap that burns your skin from those guys that were doing that club where they do the fighting down there? No. Also, he didn't answer the question. Was the shepherd kid dead? The king went back to scrubbing. No, the little punk wouldn't sell him a rabbit. Said he didn't need the money. That was technically true, but he did leave out some other details. You know what? I'll do it. Tomorrow, the queen groaned. You want something done right. 24 hours later, the queen, too, was asking if they had any lie. Why? The king grinned. The queen said, no reason. It definitely wasn't because, to drive the point home, the shepherd boy had shook his head. No. Now, one barely there peck wasn't good enough. He had needed full contact before he was willing to give away the rabbit. The queen kissed the rabbit a second time. And a second time, a rabbit had run away on the ride back to the city. The king and queen, both having been duped into kissing a rabbit on the place where no one should be kissing a rabbit, but neither wanting to tell the other that that's what happened, independently arrived at the same conclusion. The princess. The princess should go get the rabbit from him. He was in love with her, wanted to marry her, and only stood to reason that he would give her a rabbit and wouldn't make her debase herself when doing so. The pair looked at each other, not that either of them had debased themselves. No, no, not at all. The princess came prepared to her meeting with the shepherd. She had bread and preserves to share with the shepherd, as well as a bottle of brandy to help keep him off his guard. You see, She wanted the shepherd dead as much as her parents did, because you can be a princess forced to marry someone you don't want to marry and apparently still be terrible. She also didn't come in disguise. What was the point of that when he was in love with her? Anyway, when it came down to it, she asked him. She loved rabbits. Could she have one? The shepherd smiled lazily, pretending to really feel the brandy. She wanted a rabbit? Of course she could have a rabbit. She was going to be his wife. She could have the platoon leader there. But only if she kissed him three times under his tail. 
The princess said that that was super weird. She laughed and reached for the rabbit, but the shepherd blocked her. Oh, no, no, no. She needed to kiss it. The princess frowned, ew. She didn't know what was up with this. It was probably just drunk talk, and she guessed the shepherd had a weird thing about rabbits, but she really didn't want to marry this kid. No one would know, right? Okay. So, she did it. She gave the rabbit three kisses underneath his tail. When she finished wiping her mouth, well, actually trying to scrape her lips off with a piece of bark, the shepherd was out, snoring on the blanket. Oh, cool. If she had waited 30 more seconds, she could have just taken the rabbit. Oh, well. The guy was so far gone, he wouldn't remember this anyway. The princess whistled for her carriage, and when she was far enough away, the shepherd whistled for his rabbit, his brief, fake nap being over. The rabbit once again leapt from the carriage, ran back to the hutches, and when the princess managed to chase it, she found that the count was over. The final day was complete. The shepherd would be marrying the princess. King, queen, and princess sat on their respective thrones before the surviving nobles and generals. It was a feast, a feast that celebrated the shepherd winning the hand of the princess. But there is one more ordeal, one more test for our young, oh-so-clever winner, the royal family said with chapped and overly red lips. The room looked around, okay, even by medieval overprotective dad standards, this was getting a bit excessive, but the shepherd quieted them down. He met the princess's eyes. He would do anything for her love, go through any ordeal, solve any riddle. Yes, what was the final test? The king smiled and waved out some servants. They held a large, rough sack. The young man, the shepherd, if he wished to marry the princess, was to fill this sack to the brim with words. A murmur went up. Like, that was a metaphor, right? You can't fill a sack with words. The king continued. If the shepherd failed to do this, his head would be in the sack. The shepherd said, no problem, no problem. He never got the chance to go to school, so he didn't learn any of the old stories. But he would fill a sack with the words that only he could say. He would tell the story of his life. He told of how... On the day he was driving his herd to market, he learned of the contest for the princess, how he climbed the tower like the time he had to climb a mountain to rescue a sheep, and how he slipped the ring off her finger when she wasn't looking. He told of the whistle in the forest, and then of the visitors. At the mention of the visitors, the shepherd looked up to the king. Now, he realized that the king needed to test him. If the king couldn't trust him to look after rabbits faithfully, how could he entrust the shepherd with his daughter? So, the king himself had stopped by the forest. The king swallowed hard. Wait. The shepherd said, yeah. He was in the disguise of some importer-exporter merchant nonsense, but the shepherd knew. It was because royal blood radiates majesty and not because he would just talk to the guy like three days before and the king was a terrible actor. So, the king came seeking after a rabbit. 
offering an untoward sum for the creature, more money than he had ever seen in his life. But no, the shepherd wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it for money, that is. His eyes met the king's. He could see the sweat beating on the king's forehead. No, no, he wouldn't do it for money. He would only do it for a kit. Oh, wow, what do you know? The bag, full up with words. The kid could stop talking right, right now. All good on words. People were confused, but started to clap. Okay, that, cool, all right. And the story tells us that the king gave permission for the pair to be married. And they were not married. Because the shepherd overthrew the king and ruled, quote, long and well in his place. I wish I knew what that was about. The story literally drops it on us in the last sentence and then ends. Like, so many questions. I'm not going to say the king didn't deserve it. I sort of envisioned him like Steed Bonnet from Our Flag Means Death, but with a vicious, murderous, cruel streak. Still, though, it feels like a whole other story there. So, yeah, the shepherd boy didn't marry the princess. He upended the entire system of government and ruled way better. The end. The next story today is one of 80 witches hassling a city, but that will, once again, be right after this. Hey, you know how your friends, that husband and wife, were turned into a bird and butterfly respectively by the 80 witches that live outside of town and constantly menace everyone? Rabbi Shimon's disciple said, breathlessly, one morning. The rabbi said, yeah. The 80 witches that lived outside of town were a huge problem. They kept the rain from falling. They turned wine into vinegar. They shriveled up cows so they wouldn't give milk. They made fires in the city go out. Like he said, they turned people into animals and stuff. It was terrible. The disciple said, well, he thought that the rabbi was the man to save the town from the 80 witches. He had a dream about it, actually. In it, Miriam, the sister of Moses, presented him with a key to give to Rabbi Shimon. It was a key to Gehenna, where the wicked are punished. It will be delivered to the rabbi soon if he failed in his vow to rid the city of the 80 witches. The rabbi said that that wasn't an encouraging dream, going to the bad place if you fail to save the city, but it was prophetic. He hadn't told anyone of his vow to eliminate the witches. He breathed deep. All right. Tonight. Tonight they would enact his plan. The disciple knew how he was teaching 80 plus men in the city to dance, right? The disciple said, yeah, as backup dancers for the big competition coming up, right? The rabbi said that there would be no dancing competition. That was all a clever ruse. It was for witches. Gather up the contestants, sorry, combatants, and tell them to grab an iron pot and a change of clothes. Meet him at the caves. Knock, knock, the rabbi said. A witch answered the cave door. Hey? Hey yourself, I'm a sorcerer. The rabbi beamed. Cool, we're 80 witches menacing the city. Bye. She started closing the door. 
The rabbi pleaded, Wait, I'll show you my powers if you show me yours. The witches were suspicious. The rabbi said, Case in point, even though it was raining outside, look at this, completely dry. The witches looked at him. How did he do that? The rabbi didn't say that he was wearing a poncho up until the moment he stood underneath their overhang. I made myself so small I walked in between the raindrops. The rabbi crossed his arms and grinned. The witches looked at one another. Ooh, good stuff, top-notch sorcery. He might not know, but rain was really bad, basically toxic to witches. All right, all right, what else did he have? How about a dance party? The rabbi held out his hands. The witches, wait, what? Yeah, there are 80 of you, right? That's what we keep saying, 80 witches? How about I bring 80 lusty dudes to come dance with you? They'll be dry too. I can conjure them up. The witches were interested. They said, all right, all right. They can meet him halfway here. They invited him inside and conjured up a table of snacks. And the tablecloth slid underneath it. Ooh, reverse magic trick. Subverting expectations, love it, the rabbi said. He said, all right, all right. His turn. Whenever he whistled twice, 80 lusty dudes will come pouring in through that door. Of course, the witches lived in an interconnecting series of caves. So the 80 guys had arrived with the rabbi and were changing into dry clothes the next cave over. The two whistles were the signal, and when the rabbi blew, the witches liked what they saw. 80 dry guys coming in and finding a partner. The witches, according to the story, shrieked with delight and started up with some otherworldly music. The rabbi watched, winking at any witches who thanked him for this awesome night. He said absolutely one, two, three, four. He was glad they approved. This was the start of a beautiful friendship. Seven, eight, one, two, three. The rabbi hoped that those weeks of rehearsal paid off as they approached the end of the song. Here it comes. Five, six, seven, eight, and lift. The 80 guys lifted the 80 witches just like they practiced on all those sacks of flour. All right, guys, keep them up. Keep them there. Keep them off the ground. They're powerless if their feet are off the ground. Everyone, outside, outside into the rain. Go. It wasn't shrieking with delight. It was just regular shrieking when the men poured out the door to the cave, taking the witches into the rain, which, like in The Wizard of Oz, was extremely bad for some folklore witches as well. But they didn't melt. It was like a contrapasso thing, where the punishment fits the crime. Those that used their sorcery to turn wine into vinegar were turned into ripe grapes, ready to be crushed in a wine press themselves. Those that caused the fires to go out burst into flames. Those who stopped the rain were turned into puddles to be constantly evaporated and rained down on earth for the rest of time. Those who caused the cows to wither and die were turned into grass, which were eaten and turned into cow droppings, only to sprout more grass and, well, circle of life. And those that caused the rabbi's friends to be turned into birds and worms were turned into worms themselves, to be eaten constantly by birds forever. The witch's power over the city was broken, and everything and everyone returned to normal. And that's how the city of Ashkelon was saved, by one epic dance party.
is a fun, short little story of why you don't want to use your magic for evil and or 80 lusty dudes, or at the very least, if you do, check and see if the wizard at the front door didn't actually just bring an umbrella instead of dodging raindrops. Next week, we're back in Japanese folklore for two stories of people with big dreams and the monsters who stand in their way. Some are monsters from without, like the dragons sleeping on that bridge over there. Some, though, are the monsters within. If you'd like to support the show, there's a membership thing on the site and on Apple Podcasts now. For less than the price of baby arm candles, wax candles that look like baby arms, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show. Really, these are candles that are shaped like baby arms. And even the people who bought those candles, for some reason, say they're really creepy. Anyway, for a mostly less unnerving experience, check out the member episodes at mythpodcast.com slash membership or on Apple Podcasts. The creature this time is the Beast of Bladenborough from North Carolina in the United States. So when the paper runs the headline, Vampire Beast Wins Battle of Bladenborough, you're living in a horror fantasy novel at this point. Stephen King is writing the plot to your life, and vampires have overrun your town. But this headline actually ran in a paper on January 9th, 1954. I posted the article on the site and linked it in the show notes. So this one gets a little gruesome, not for people. The vampire cat only ever approached one human, and she chased him off no problem. But it does get pretty tragic for eight dogs. Maybe surprisingly, we've received way more emails over our tragic depiction of Gellert in episode 8, saying that we needed warnings because it was so sad, than any depiction of violence against humans on this podcast. It's not even close. Anyway, I'll try to keep the language of these violent dog deaths as playful as possible. Their heads were smushed, and the vampire cat played Cat Got Your Tongue, but never gave it back. The dogs were also found to be completely exsanguinated. It was all really scary for the town, so much so that Mayor W.G. Fussells put out the call for any and all hunters to come and take out the vampire beast. And they did. According to one book, about a thousand people arrived in town, over doubling the population in a matter of days. Soon, though, it became apparent. A vampire monster that never attacked humans, only sometimes attacked dogs, and one that no one actually saw was way less dangerous that a bunch of people walking around the woods with loaded weapons, scared and ready to shoot a vampire at the slightest provocation. The article I posted mentions the mayor calling it off and that most of the people who showed up were local frat boys with guns. Even though there wasn't a reward, the article describes the last of the hunters, the Delta Kappa Epsilon crew, going into the swamp with rifles. Someone did get a 35-pound bobcat not long after, but the killings continued for a brief time before stopping completely. The vampire cat may have faded, but the beast did not. Because every year, Bladenboro celebrates Beast Fest, including 2022, last year. I linked it in the show notes. So if you find yourself in North Carolina in late October, check out Beast Fest for a cornhole tournament and trunk or treat. All that to celebrate the Beast of Bladenboro, a.k.a. Bob. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. 
Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.